Hey guys, Zach here, and I wanted to let you guys know that Fieldwork is brought to you in part by General Mills. General Mills is partnering with farmers and suppliers to advance regenerative ag practices on a million acres of farmland by 2030. Hi, I'm Zach Johnson. I'm Mitchell Hora. Welcome back to another episode of Fieldwork. This is the podcast where we talk about sustainable egg practices and conservation and how we can implement those at the ground level on our own farms. This is a podcast by farmers for farmers. Today we're going to talk about precision ag and kind of digging into where are we at right now, how do we implement, and how do you utilize this on your farm to continue moving us in the right direction. We've got a couple of guests joining us in from Skype today. Michael Ganshaw is a sixth-generation farmer from Bureau County, Illinois. He also sits on the Illinois Nutrient Research Education Council. Joining us also via Skype, we have Dr. Raj Kosla. He's a precision agriculture researcher at the Colorado State University. Uh, Michael, how about uh, you first? Thanks for joining us. Uh, give us a little background on you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, so I'm a uh, sixth-generation farmer. I uh, started farming full-time with my dad. Uh, in the fall of 2008, we farm about 3,000 acres, uh, corn and soybeans, and then we, uh, we use cover crops in the wintertime. And what I do is we, we plant all our fields uh, using variable rate technology. And the reason why we do that is because we have such variability uh, throughout most of the fields that we farm. You know, you've got uh, higher organic matter areas and, and, and low organic matter areas and our sand and, and, and clays. And, and so the need to do that is, is more important on the stuff that we farm compared to maybe some other things or some other farms that are just down the road. And so uh, what I do is I actually write variable rate prescriptions uh, when I when I plant my crop. And I take those uh, planting prescriptions after dad has planted the field or I planted the field, and I transform them into prescriptions for my nitrogen application so that my nitrogen application is mimicking uh, my seeding rates. I like it. Raj, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on you? As, as Mitchell said, you're a professor out at Colorado State. Why don't you give us a background on what it is you do out there? My entire career has been in the development of precision agriculture. The focus of my lab is on precision nutrient management, primarily nitrogen. Uh, but we use a lot of development of techniques to classify fields into management zones. Uh, more recently, uh, we have been working with both nitrogen management as well as water management. How do we apply the right amount of water at the right time, place, and amount? And uh, throughout this journey, we have employed a whole suite of sensors and developed algorithms uh, for these sensors to help us make better management decisions. So, Raj, when, when you're talking about re having remote sensors out there, do you have remote sensors that are on the farms, actually with the farmers, working with real farm farmers' data? Or are these sensors that you have more in place on, say, your test sites? Uh, if you look back what we had 20 years back, we primarily had to rely on satellite imagery. And we're talking about visible wave bands, red, green, and blue, and the near-infrared or sometimes we would deploy an airborne imagery to acquire the same data. But if you look at what has happened in the last 10 or 12 years, now we have access to those same suite of sensors, which could be tractor mounted or handheld. But I believe technology is ahead of science. 
Well, just that the tech is there, we can collect the information, but doesn't know that doesn't mean that we know how to use it. Right. I think that's what he means. You know that we can collect that information, but then it takes machine learning and whatnot. Yeah. To figure out what do I actually do with it. Yeah, that is an interesting point, though. Interesting way to put that and to think about that. Technology is ahead of the science that the robots are taking over the world. <laughs> Skynet is becoming aware. Yes. Is that the deal? That's exactly what it is. Um, let's jump back to uh, to Michael here for a minute. And Raj works a lot with um, with nitrogen. He's got a lot of sensors out there. I'm interested to hear his take on this as well. But a question I have for you as a farmer is, how accurate do you feel that the nitrogen management stuff is that you work with? I mean, how 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 much do you really trust it on your farm? What do you what do you think you've seen? It's a really good question. Well, uh, some of the things that we've used in the past, and I'm not, I'm not going to be specific on it, obviously, because I don't want to give anybody a, a black eye. But no it's, black it's really been, yeah, it's really been hard to to quantify, you know. And when they first came out with it, I mean, some of the stuff was really, really way off, and it was recommending way more nitrogen than what than what stuff needed. Now that that being said, you know, that was kind of the first round of it. It's gotten better every year. Uh, I, I still think it's it's still it's still a moving target, and a, a lot of it has to depend on. On, on the weather and uh, sadly you know we, we just can't 100% predict that weather all, weather all the time and uh, that really changes uh, what what would have been good one year when you should have applied so I think moving forward as this becomes more refined that we'll get a lot better at that we're just we're just not 100% there on the on the technology for the nitrogen predictors and, and what you have left and all that stuff as of today I feel yeah but Michael you're mostly talking there about some of these big ag tools and the modeling systems, not necessarily like sampling or sensors right. and that kind of stuff, right? right? No, I'm just I'm just talking the broad spectrum, the ag technologies out there. Now, if you go out to tissue, tissue testing and all that kind of thing, that's that's a whole different ballgame. But at the same time, you know, you need to regularly do that, you know, every week because that tissue t- sample is just a, a shot, you know, in, in time. And that's one thing that, that you've got to continue to do throughout your growing season. And it's really, really tough to get um, – that done on every single field and be as precise as what you would want to be. Um, but there have been some success stories using those kind of practices in the past to, to do that better job. It's just right now we need to have the workforce available to try to do some of that thing, some of those things and to allow us to do it better. You well, know, I, th- I think that's exactly back to what Raj said, you know, that the technology is there that I can get the data that I want, right. but the science to make it super practical that still might be some of the piece that's missing. But Michael, how are you addressing that now to still help you to make the best decision uh, that you have the capability of, of doing? Uh, it's just, you know, mixing in different things, you know, whether it be, you know, tissue sampling, uh, trying to use some of the, the nitrogen predictors. And, and mostly a lot of it has to do with using the data that we're collecting, like through soil sampling or through yield data. And, you know, a lot of the applications that we're making, uh, as far as nitrogen is concerned, we're making it when the crop is growing. So trying to trying to attack it that way and not trying to front load everything up all at once, you know, making multiple applications or split applicating some things to kind of adjust, adjust to what, uh, the weather has has given you a little bit, and, and taking all that information, uh, working together to kind of make it happen. That's that's what we're trying to do right now, uh, to address things on our own farm. So instead of being a mind reader, you're a corn reader. <laughs> I don't know about that. I just still, I still think it's always kind of a moving target. I mean, nitrogen is a is a very funny. A uh, funny element. It, it's 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 a constantly ebb and flow almost. It seems like uh, to a degree. Uh, but we're trying to do the best we can with the information that we have. So. 
I'd, I'd go with personally. I'd go with Corn Whisperer. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that sounds that sounds much cleaner and nicer. I like that. Yeah, so. yeah. You can you can I'll let you use that. There you go, <laughs> uh, Raj. In your opinion, now um, I'm not sure how much work you've actually done with the 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 available to us management tools. Obviously, you're working in the lab. I mean, you're understanding the real data behind what's going on with that nitrogen. But what's your opinion on, you know, maybe not just just how reliable your data is, but the the commercially available management tools that are, have become available to farmers now? What's your opinion of those and how accurate those might be? Another very good question. And, and I think Michael is completely exactly right in that we don't have a commercially available diagnostic sensor for nitrogen. We don't. Uh, there are a lot of sensors available in the market, but these are all surrogate measures that gives you a flavor of nitrogen, if you may. Uh, for example, they're, you know, without, you know, referencing a particular sensor, they pick up a signature from the crop canopy or from the soil, which is then translated into an index, uh, one of them which is very widely reported is NDVI, Normalized Difference Vegetative Index. Now, it gives you the greenness in the plant. Greenness in the plant is not only related to nitrogen. It's a sum total of so many other stresses, biotic as well as abiotic stresses in the plant that can lead to reduction in the greenness of the plant. Now, most of the time we assume that is related to nitrogen. And so you can fix it with nitrogen, but that's not entirely true. So as we continue to develop technology, we need to have a diagnostic sensor. And let me make a clarification what I mean by that. You and I can go to a physician and they can draw a sample of blood and can, can quantitatively tell you blood sugar level using a sensor, mm -hmm. but, but we're not there when it there yet when it comes to nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, or suite of other nutrients. We don't have diagnostic sensors commercially available in the market. They're in the pipeline, but we're not there yet. So that's one aspect. Well, I was just saying, you know, I think those sensors are really what's going to blow this stuff up, and it's going to get it really interesting, especially as those sensors are communicating with the diagnostic tools as far, or like the application tools, the big ag tech uh -huh. um, platforms uh -huh. and whatnot to dial in those, those predictions and utilize right. weather technology along with the sensing technology, along with the outcomes, you know, Michael, like you're collecting on your farm, Zach and I are collecting on our farms. I think the sensors are going to be really interesting. And right now we're seeing the first wave of that, I think in the soil with the smart farmers, you know, just looking at organic matter, moisture, temperature. There are some mm -hmm. other ones coming. Raj, like you said, you probably know way more of them than, than I do. But I'm seeing there's some stuff that's in very initial um, build coming from Iowa State. So that'll be interesting to see what they can come up with. They're doing some real-time nitrate sensors that would go on the equipment, just like the smart firm does. I think that'll be interesting. But still, it boils back down to then, what do I do with the information? You know, it's training that machine learning. It's training the system to work for us. So, Michael, what do you think would be, you know, in, in your experience, how do we 
work towards getting there? How do we implement? Well, actually, you know, while we're having this conversation, I was thinking about, I was at a John Deere equipment meeting and uh, they were showing this video of, you know, the technology that, that is really coming down the pipeline and they're, you know, they're showing, uh, you know, better weather predictors and they're, they're, they're showing uh, having sensors in your field to know when you have deficiency and, and any type of nutrient. And then it makes a recommendation as to what you should apply to, to fix those kind of deficiencies. I think down the pipeline, uh, that's, that's where we're headed. I mean, that's, that's gonna, that's gonna be a reality. I'm going to be getting a text, you know, within a, a single field telling me, Hey, I have a phosphorus deficiency that I need to address using this product. And, and that's how I can, I can do that. So going forward, how, how do we do that? I mean, it, like, the technology, uh, I guess, isn't 100% there yet, but waiting for that to come out to allow us to do our job better, more efficiently, and to be better stewards with our nutrients, for me, is super exciting. Robots taking over the world, Zach. That's going to happen. Skynet becoming aware, I'm it telling you. definitely happening. I'm telling you. Maybe yeah. that's uh, episode happen. one of season two right there. Robots. Is okay. Skynet Update aware? on the robots. Yeah. Well, we knew that that was going to happen at some point. That's true. That's true. Yeah, we had to know this was coming. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, but the the robots got to be able to say for Pete's sake, right, J- right Zach? That's, that's right. Gotta, the robots. Gotta, gotta Pete's have that. Sake. They've got to be able to hashtag. Yeah. See, this, that's this is how I know this guy has truly seen my videos. He is a big fan. Raj is like, <laughs> what he... the heck is going on? So Raj, uh, Zach has a <laughs> Zach has a YouTube channel. He's the Minnesota Millennial okay. Farmer. And uh, okay. he's super famous to five-year-olds all over the world. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> that wow. is probably the most incredible backhanded compliment anybody's ever given Hey, you're me. welcome. Yeah, Any thank time. you so much. <laughs> that and that you're going to be replaced by a robot here. Exactly. At some point. That's just... Information. Yeah, that's yeah. part of it. Yeah, I I told you my my five year old. Like I said, we can't just farm all day with dad. We got to go home and watch it at home all day, all night too. <laughs> <laughs> you can't spend all your time just farming. You've got to spend that's, it educating yourself on what's going on on other people's farms. That's right. Uh, <laughs> we have a couple of guests skyping in, uh, joining here today. We got Michael Ganshaw is a farmer in Illinois, and Dr. Raj Kosla is a professor out at Colorado State. Michael, why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, how how farmers can implement this into their farms on their own, the way that you have been able to do, and and really working with that so that we can get this done on our own, take a look at what we're doing, and really concentrate on what we're doing so that hopefully we don't have to deal with, with government regulations coming at us. Because as a farmer myself, for sure, I know, and I'm sure Mitchell and I'm sure you, you know, we'd rather get this done on our own and and manage it on our farm rather than having uh, the the uh, men and women in the suits come and tell us how we're supposed to be doing it. No, no, absolutely. Uh, the, the thing about uh, regulation is, is we know that if regulation were to come in, it's going to be kind of all encompassing. And we know, you know, from our experience as farmers, that you can't just throw one manager practice and say you have to do this or you have to implement this, and this is going to be a blanket coverage on all, all farms. So no, absolutely, we, we need to be proactive about this, and that really means taking. Uh, each individual farm and, and farmer, and trying to do things uh, every year to improve what you're, you know, what what you've been doing in the past. Uh, you know, as I always tell guys, you know, if you can take one thing that you've been doing uh, and and change it to make yourself more efficient for the next year, then that's going to add into it. But a lot of it, Zach, a lot of it is is really at the end of the day, we have to show progress. You know, I mean. Obviously, you know, the biggest problems that we're seeing right now is, you know, stuff in some of these these bigger lakes. You got the Gulf of Mexico issue. And what we're trying to do here in Illinois as much as possible 
it's digital progress. So, you know, if that's by trying to get guys on board with implementing the four R's or trying to implement cover crops or doing some of these edge of field practices like, you know, bioreactors or saturated buffers or, you know, anything that we can do to help solve this problem and show progress is what we need to do right now. And that's that's kind of our goal here, uh, like I said, in Illinois through the Illinois Nutrient Loss Reduction Strategy. We're trying to show that progress. And, and as of right now, we've been we've been fairly successful in trying to do that. I just sometimes I wonder if it's going to be quick enough to uh, appease, uh, appease the problem, you know, yeah. long term, because it's one of those things that this problem didn't happen overnight. We can't fix it overnight, and I hate to say it, but it, it's going to take time to make it better. And sadly, I don't think we have enough time required to make that progress at times, you know? Well, so. I think you're right, you know, that we've got to show that we're making progress, but we got to be able to show that we're making results, though, yeah. too. So right. when at the, we're... At the, at the, at the end of the day, it comes down to solving the problem. You have to have the results to go solving with it. Exactly. Yeah, and I think now we're seeing the ability to work and get there. Now we've really got to implement and, and take some drastic action to do it. Um, when we're airing this, a lot of guys are probably going to be out in the field side dressing and whatnot and, and doing field work. So, Raj, to kind of pull this stuff together, what do those guys need to be thinking about? What do we need to be thinking about as we're out in our fields during this growing season in order to continue to do things better and move the needle? Number one, uh, we need to always take a stock on variability. You know, how large are, are they looking at the variability? Uh, the scale of variability is number one. Number two, uh, what's causing that variability? Is that something a farmer uh, can manage? Does the farmer have the resources to manage that? And I think those three are very closely related questions that our precision agronomist must always have it on the forefront, uh, you know, yeah. quantifying that variability out in the field, looking at what is the scale. A scale could be looking at last year's data. Uh, what was the variability in the grain yield, the final product? Did it go from 30 bushel to 300 bushel, like I see it every year in irrigated corn in Colorado? Or did it go from 175 bushel to 225 bushels? I think that's a good uh, way to look at it too. That it's, we're not just looking at where is it at right now versus where we want it to be. Like I think we often do with precision ag, but what is uh -huh. the variance out there in the field and understanding why, why is it so variable? Why in part of our field am I raising only that, you know, 175 bushel um, yield or uh that would be a crop failure for Michael, but 175 <laughs> bushel, but, but, it might uh, be nowadays, yeah. you know, so, but why is it doing that? And then why is other parts of the field yielding well over 300 bushel? So it's very common. Uh, I've seen field that shows a thousand percent variability. When you look at 30 bushel to 300 bushel, that's a thousand percent variability. And you're exactly right. We need to find out what's causing that. Can we fix it? And do we have the resources to do that? And I want to circle back really quick on what we were talking about previously. So assume, uh, fast forward, we have the sensors that allow us to accurately quantify distribution of nitrates in soil or distribution of nitrogen available in the plant. Well, one thing we, we must remember, there's another challenge that we need to overcome. And that challenge is collecting data at spatially dependent scales. Meaning, if you have a sensor 
that can quantify soil moisture in your field, but you can only afford one sensor, mm. what, what good would that be? Because if you're basing your decision with a variable rate pres- uh, irrigation system with only one sensor, you're not doing precision ag. Right. Uh, and so to be able to collect data at spatially dependent scales, meaning you will have to distribute these sensors in the field at, at very high data density scales. And that would be a limitation right now. So what I'm getting at is that we don't only need these sensors, but we also need these sensors to be highly inexpensive to be able to distribute them out in the field at spatially dependent scale so that Michael can then translate that information into his applicator and make a real-time or near real-time decision on the go when he's applying side dressing. Well, and hopefully, Raj, that, that's exciting for you and what you've been able to accomplish over the last 20 years of evaluating that variance and evaluating zones then we can deploy the sensors out there in those zones. So we're at least dialing in some of the variability without just putting out those sensors based only on, say, soil type or different yielding areas and whatnot. We can be very specific with where we want to use those zones. So speaking of variance, I've got another question that deals with um, Raj. I want to know your opinion on the accuracy of some of these on-the-go measurement tools where where they'll read the soil or the plants on the go, you know, as, as you're actually applying, whether it's nitrogen or seeding, do you think, I mean, are those tools accurate right now? Or can we just not process data quickly enough that that's accurate enough to really depend on, on those tools to be able to, to be able to do that? <laughs> so, uh, I, I think that's a loaded question there. <laughs> I can't just give you a blanket answer, uh, you know, what is the accuracy of multiple tools that are available right now? One thing we need to look at, and Michael would be a better person to attest to that, is that we are more accurate today than we were two years back. And, and we hopefully were, we'll be more right. accurate two years from now. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and so, yes, we are on the right trajectory. However, uh, as a farmer, when you are you know, all of a sudden inundated with so many choice of tools and you don't know what the science is behind those tools, whether they will fit well into your operation or not, that's that's a very tricky question. And I, I wonder how, uh, how Michael goes around in choosing what to embrace this year or, or, or how slowly to make changes to his operation. I would be very interested in hearing him. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to be able to kind of get us working towards the end here on how do we dig through all this? Because like we said, there's so many different options available. Yeah, Michael, Michael, walk, walk through us how you did that on your farm. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest challenges right now uh, in, in agriculture is trying to sift through uh, uh, what is good and what is not. I mean, there's, you know, as Zach can attest to too, there is no shortage of the amount of technology that you can add to anything or, or utilize on your own farm. And usually what I, I try to do is uh, I, I start small or I choose something. And usually a lot of times, you know, you can you can, you can can try something at a, at a pretty minimal cost. And it's, a lot of it's just trial and error. And, and working with it on your own farm and seeing what you like and what you don't like and what works and what doesn't work. And a lot of that starts with 
the relationship that I have built with, you know, my retailers over the years. I've got guys that I know and I trust that they will recommend good things for me to use. And that's usually where I start. That doesn't mean that I am uh, opposed to trying something you know, outside the box that I don't have a, a relationship with somebody. But generally speaking, you know, these things start with somebody that you know and trust that has have, have proven to show uh, good information and good things that have worked on your own farm. I, I mean, I would say exactly the same what you've said there. It's trial and error. It comes down to, you know, it always comes down to cost and trying to figure out whether you can actually get a return on on the investment on that technology or not. And some sometimes you'll throw money at a certain technology really just to see if it works because you know that there's probably a future in that. But But really, like you say... There is no shortage of technology coming at us right now. It's just trying to figure out what's useful and what is not and and what's practical. What can we make work and what do we just flat out not have the time or the resources for right now? Uh, Michael, then then Raj, any last um, takeaways on this stuff and how do we keep the conversation going with you? Where can we go for more information? You know, actually, uh, there's a... At least in in Illinois right now, there's a there's a lot of uh, available tools right now. A lot of research being done uh, on on this issue right now. Um, you know, I I work with the Illinois NREC and we support a lot of research trials for for uh, trying to get a handle on this this nutrient problem, whether it be using precision technology or a lot of uh, different things. So I mean, the Illinois Farm Bureau, the Farm Bureau is always a, a really good resource. But honestly, um, you know, there's a there's a lot of retailers out there with a lot of really good information too. Raj, what about you? Kind of final takeaways, final thoughts here as we wrap up, and, and where can people find you for more information with what you're doing? Sure. So one thing I want to emphasize is that precision agriculture is new. It is still in the stage of infancy. And I know some days it feels like that we are building an airplane and flying at the same time. I, I feel the pain. I am part of the journey as well. We have been farming for thousands of, you know, of years, but Precision Ag has been around for only 25, 30 years. And that's one aspect. And we need to be careful when these sensors do arrive that we're hoping uh, industry is building for us. What do we do with the data? So it's not only going forward would be farming the land, but it would also about farming the data. How do we translate data into new knowledge by developing algorithms so that we can make a decision and farmers can act on that decision? So let me put in a plug for what my lab is doing yeah. right now. We just got uh, funding from a, a federal institution. We, uh, along with my lab, UC Boulder and UC Berkeley out of California, we're teaming t- up together to work on this project together. Uh, to develop biodegradable nitrogen and soil moisture sensors. And uh, our whole idea is that we distribute several hundreds of these sensors out in the field and forget about them uh, because they will degrade over time. So they will will send data back to you, the labs, or whoever, wherever it goes. Correct, correct. Correct. So totally and and maintenance-free. Totally maintenance-free, and and our targeted price is less than a penny per sensor. What? And yeah, well, uh, you do realize you could you could just get rich off of it instead. Yeah, you could. Uh, well, see the see You'd the be value. Be a terrible employee is, for big pharma. 
So, so <laughs> big pharma. See, <laughs> so here's the thing: uh, the the value is not necessarily in the sensor itself. The value is in the data coming yeah. off of the sensors. Right. Yeah. And so yep. that's that's where you know how do you translate data by developing algorithms into new information that we currently don't have. So if you would allow me, hopefully, five years from now or three years from now, we could look across an entire field, can at any given point of time, can quantify soil moisture status mm -hmm. across the field in depth and over time. So you're looking at a four-dimensional data, X and Y, the depth Z, and time T. How, what, okay. What's the size of these sensors? They could probably be a little tiny diodes or something like that. So you can hold it on the tip of your finger. Mm -hmm. So is this a ridiculous question? The idea of Baby throwing robots. Uh, throwing. <laughs> hold on now. My mind is so blown. I can't, <laughs> oh, yeah. I put can't it make in, jokes. And seed it in with your corn. <laughs> put it in the planter or in your bean drill. Or a fertilizer spreader. Way. Or a fertilizer spreader. But you'd want it to be in the soil, though, at a consistent depth. Mm -hmm. This is crazy. Yeah, Zach is Zach's mind is blown. Yeah, so we we had uh, Michael Ganshaw and Raj Kosla joining us today via Skype. So we appreciate you guys being on the Fieldwork podcast with us today. Well, thank you guys. It was, it was awesome to be a part of it, and I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Uh, thank you. It was great to uh, talk with you. Thank Thanks, you guys. Chris. Appreciate it. It is definitely the robots taking over the world. Yes, but. But um, luckily, but they're in their infancy. So. But if they're going to help us, yeah, maybe we can work with them and make friends with them. And I've also realized there, too, that we've been talking about getting this helicopter. Yeah. We've actually just been flying the helicopter and building it at the same time. Is that what we're doing That's, here? Now it's all more clear to me. That is it for this episode of the Fieldwork Podcast. Thanks again to all the people who make this podcast possible. Amy Scotchless-Cole, Annie Baxter, Dan Ackerman, Lauren Humpert, Todd Melby, Laura Doherty, and Dom DeFerio. Thanks to our engineering staff here at American Public Media for all your technical help. And for our theme song, which is written and performed by Johnny Vince Evans. Go to fieldworktalk.org to learn more about what we're up to on this podcast. You can also see video versions of this podcast at Fieldwork Talk on uh, YouTube. What else? Twitter, Facebook, Twitter and Facebook. We're on everything. Wherever. And uh, if you really want to get into the spelling of it, you can check us out, Millennial Farmer, on YouTube as well. Continue Mag LLC. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch us here the next time on the Fieldwork Podcast. Mm -hmm.